was feeling very sad. This is Tall Can Audio. <laughs> Your Toronto Blue Jays have decided to do a thing. They've they've gone, they've done they've done a thing. Matt Robinson with you here inside the TCA studio, and we have been calling for, asking for, waiting for, at times begging for the Toronto Blue Jays to do a thing. And today they did do a thing. They have brought in Justin Turner. Uh, last year played with the Red Sox. Before that, of course, longtime third baseman with the L.A. Dodgers was a part of their organization when they won the uh, the 2020 World Series. Uh, somewhat, hmm, I guess as Jays fans, we're kind of probably just going to overlook this or forget this now, but uh, there, there was that thing that he did where he had tested positive for COVID-19 during the 2020 playoffs. His team went on and won it. He broke protocols to join with them afterwards in the celebration. Made everybody a little uncomfortable, if you recall. That was actually still 2020. We weren't yet having the conversations about, is it over? Are we? No, we were still very much in it. Anyway, that guy is a Toronto Blue Jay now. Uh, Perfectly useful baseball player. And I guess you would frame this, and our buddy Andrew Stoughton from the batflip.ca, who has a nice write-up on this uh, that I'd recommend you check out if you're uh, into such things or wanting a little more detail on the guy. He says, quite rightly, that this is either a good start or a terrible finish to the Toronto Blue Jays offseason, by which, of course, he means if there's more to come, hey, this is pretty good. It's a pretty useful piece. It's probably a fine gamble. But if this is it, if this is that final thing that's going to cap things off and it means you're not doing Soler and it means you're not doing Martinez and it means, I don't know, Joey Votto or... Uh, I had sort of been saying maybe Jorge Polanco might be a fit. The Twins traded him to Seattle earlier in the week. Uh, like, if this is it, yeah, it's not good enough. It's it's not going to be close to good enough. But uh, we'll have to wait and see on exactly where this goes and, and what this means for the Blue Jays. But for now, we can take a quick look at it, right? We can take a look for ourselves and, and, and see what this guy might bring and how he might fit in. So this will just be a quick episode of the podcast. I will remind you, though, that uh, a little later in the week, Actually, probably drop it for you on Thursday morning. Our friend Cheryl Pounder will be back. And uh, she's been on the show a couple times before. Um, And man, just one of those people that I think we all have our personal tastes when it comes to, to hockey broadcasters or sports broadcasters in general, right? That you're on Twitter and somebody's ranting and raving against a guy that you think calls a pretty good game or vice versa. Someone who rubs you the wrong way, but other people seem to love. I haven't seen almost anyone on hockey Twitter, who doesn't like the way Cheryl Pounder is doing this. And that is incredibly unique, not just because she's a, you know, a new sports broadcaster and sometimes it takes some time to get your feet under you, but also she's a woman. And there is a sizable portion of sports Twitter that just decides women are not welcome here and can't possibly do a good job. And those people don't seem to be dunking on Cheryl Pounder either, or at least... I guess I don't follow them, so maybe I'm just not noticing it. But uh, she seems to be one of those people that is universally respected in the job that she's doing. So she'll be back here. Um, like I said, I think we'll drop that for you on Thursday morning. Justin Turner. Look, this is a guy who's had a, a long career, a pretty good career, but he is 39 years old now. He is unquestionably in decline. Um, but how much so is going to be the question. And the Jays are betting that he's still got something left in the tank. And it doesn't appear to be a crazy bet. 
Um, last year, he did manage to get into 146 games for the Boston Red Sox. So durable enough. Now, most of that was at DH and a bit of first base. He did play seven games at third, but his days of being the everyday third baseman, I think, are done. Maybe the Jays will give him a chance to do that, but last year in Boston, they have Raphael Devers. When you have Raphael Devers, you're going to let Raphael Devers play third base, and so it just wasn't even an option for Justin Turner. So whether the Jays have any designs on him doing it or whether or not he's just here to be a bat and maybe spell uh, Vladdy Guerrero and let him have a couple of off days remains to be seen. I don't imagine they expect him to play much third, especially at 39 uh, at 39 years old. So we'll see, though. Um, pretty good year last year. 23 home runs. Again, for a 38-year-old, um, 23 home runs, batting average of, uh, of 276. And WRC plus, and I'll explain that in a second for anyone who, who needs me to, about 114, I believe it was. Now, WRC plus, just quickly, is weighted runs created. And it takes into consideration your um, the pitchers you're facing, the ballpark you're in. It sort of removes all those uh, X factors and boils everybody down. And 100 is considered average. So 114, still an above average hitter last year, right? Pretty good. The batting average, and I know we kind of go back and forth on how useful of a stat that still is. To me, it's still worth something. And while there are a lot of people out there trying to tell you that this is a slam dunk win, great signing for the Blue Jays at $13 million, and I'm not here to dump on it. I guess before we go any further, I should say this is sort of a shoulder shrug move for me. I don't hate it. I think it's a reasonable gamble. I'm not in love with it. I'm not over the moon with it. I, I don't think... It's unreasonable to expect that at 39, this is the year where maybe he finally falls off and doesn't have anything left. Like, that's a risk you're taking here. That's on the table. But I don't hate it. But there are people out there, like there always are, who are telling you this is a disaster and that this is the savior. And it's not either one of those things. And the people who want to tell you that this guy is the greatest thing since sliced bread and who needs to be like your everyday lead off, not lead off, but like that this guy is going to kill it for you. They're neglecting to mention one thing when it comes to that 276 batting average, and that's that on the road, it dropped off by 20 points. You go, well, why would that be such a significant drop-off? And there are some guys with splits like that. But Justin Turner is a right-handed hitter who played half of his season at Fenway Park with that big, stupid wall and their big, dumb, dilapidated stadium. Fix your shit. It's 100 years old. Anyway, um... I don't know. Third base is uh, 90 feet from home plate towards left field. So the green monster is what, like 105 feet from home plate in left. It's it's just that very small uh, left field with the big wall. And so shit takes crazy bounces off of it. Um, home runs go out over it. If you get any kind of arc to them, you know, they, they can inflate the statistics for a right-handed hitter at Fenway. And so yeah, he was a notably worse hitter on the road last year. Now, not a terrible hitter on the road last year, just a noticeably worse hitter. So that's going to be worth keeping in mind when we see how he does when he has to go back to not hitting at uh, at Fenway Park. But he was a good hitter before he got to Fenway, right? A perfectly capable player uh, long before he got there, but he was also a younger guy. So there's just a lot of things here when you look at it and you go, how exactly is this going to fit together? What is reasonable to expect out of him? And are they actually going to ask him to play third base? Or is this, you know, your your DH? And at 114 WRC plus last year, 
That was better than what Matt Chapman gave them as their third baseman. He had 110 WRC plus last year. But it's not a replacement for Brandon Belt, who, believe it or not, had some injury issues, right? But he had a 138 WRC plus last year. A very good hitter. So this isn't quite a replacement for that guy. So it's sort of how are you going to use him? Because Belt was your DH. And 138, you can live with that out of your DH. And, you know, your third baseman at 110, eh, you'd like a little more than that. But you, And so you can't really decide whether his what Justin Turner's 114 is good because you're playing him at third. And he's not going to be anywhere near as good defensively as Chapman was. So your your sort of all-around game would take a hit over there. And if he's your DH, it's not good enough. Now it's possible, like we said a few minutes ago. Maybe they still go get Jorge Solar. Or maybe they have another move in the in the shoot. In which case, you're sort of judging an unfinished painting here. But right now, while there are useful pieces, useful ways to use this guy, this is a Ugly, ugly sentence I'm constructing right now. While there are certainly constructive ways to use this player, while he can certainly be useful to your team, I'm not sure you want him to be like your everyday DH, whether he's going to be good enough for that. Maybe he's more of a bench bat. Not 13 million. It's an expensive bench bat. Uh, they are also kind of up pretty close to the top of what we expected their payroll would be. So, what if you went and brought back Matt Chapman, had him play third, and then you also now have Turner a little further down in your lineup? Maybe you still can find a left-handed bat to do something for you in the in the outfield. I don't know. This isn't finished yet. I just I look at this player and go, okay, like I think I'm happy he's in the organization. I think I'm okay with the fact that he's going to be part of of your season. I'm just not sure yet how this is all going to come together. And look, the biggest piece has been always was going to be and still remains to be that it's got to be Vlad and Bo. Bo's been good. He's led the American League in hitting a couple of times. You need Vlad to bounce back or none of the rest of this matters. IKF, Chapman, um, yeah, Justin Turner, Jorge Solar, go do whatever you want. If Vlad doesn't hit, none of this is going to work. So I don't know. But you do look at Justin Turner last year, 23 home runs and 96 RBIs, which would have led the Blue Jays last year. Vladdy finished with 94 to lead the team. So when we were sitting here grousing all last summer about needing another bat, needing someone who could get guys in from uh, from second base, guys who could hit with runners in scoring position, well, Justin Turner was still doing that. So as long as you don't believe that this was the winter that he fell off a cliff and the age thing caught up with him, then yeah, this is a useful guy that's worth having in your organization. And until we see what else they do, that's about the extent of the the insight you can give. Okay, here's what he is. Here's what he's been. Here's what he might have left. Until you know what his role is, you can't go, oh my God, he's going to be a bad third baseman for us this year. Or, oh my God, he's going to be a bad DH. Might be a great bench guy. Might be a great guy who can play a little third, a little first, a little DH and be useful all over the place. Stayed healthy last year at 38 years old, 146 games. We have a lot of guys who didn't stay healthy for us. So, you know, for now, I think what I said earlier that this is sort of a shoulder shrug for me is is sort of where I'm at. I acknowledge, I okay, I see the move. I'm not sure quite yet what you're thinking, but I don't hate this. I'm not sure I love it, but I don't hate it. And sometimes it's okay to just have a guy, bring a guy in that makes you, you know, sort of indifferent. 
you don't have to be excited or furious about everything. You can just kind of go, yeah, all right, maybe. And so that's sort of where I'm at with this guy right now. Oh, there's one other thing. Uh, sorry, I, I meant to bring up here. And and that is the uh, the idea of how he might be able to help you with runners in scoring position, as I mentioned a little while ago. And you guys know from listening to the show long enough that I think there's a lot of luck involved sometimes with the runners in scoring position. Now, it's not all luck. Um, there is a little added mental pressure when you're up there with runners in scoring position. Uh, maybe you just have some bad habits. You know, they're, they're, But in a lot of ways, if you're just in a slump, that slump's going to carry into your runners in scoring position numbers. If you're not hitting well all season, well, that's going to affect that as well. So sometimes I think the, the, the risk number is a little overblown. But in the interest of being fair, just so I don't have people telling me that, hey, you're leaving out the parts of the argument that, that don't back up what you're saying. This is an interesting number. Last year, Justin Turner, with runners in scoring position, hit 338. The Blue Jays, as a team, with runners in scoring position, hit 260. So, if you're looking to solve that particular problem, your runners in scoring position numbers, if you think there's something fundamentally wrong with the hitters you have, or you want to give that particular area a boost, and you think there's a guy out there who might be able to do it, 338 to year 260 doesn't hurt. That might be one reason they targeted this player as well. So I'm willing to uh, to concede that, and we'll we'll see how it all plays out. As I said, though, off the top, our buddy Andrew Stoughton has already written on this at thebatflip.ca. We will link to that in the show notes if you're looking to get his take on it, a little more context, a little more insight, and, uh, and just sort of get uh, Stoughton's thoughts. And you know what? It's been a while since he's been on the show. Uh, we should circle back here in the next week or two before spring training opens and see if we can get him to... Uh, I guess maybe we'll wait and see if the Jays do anything else. This is just the one thing. They've done one thing, and it's a. I don't want to rain on that one thing, but uh, let's wait and see if they do maybe a second or a third thing, and then uh, we'll tag Stoughton back in and get his take on the offseason in general. And uh, You know, so far it's just sort of been Kevin Kiermeyer, and that's fine, Yariel Rodriguez, and we'll see what that might be. And this is the first kind of big addition from uh, from outside, I guess you'd call it. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here, just quickly. Like I said, we're going to keep this one short. Uh, a lot of you might have seen this on Monday. Uh, it was a little interesting. And it, I think for the most part, it was just supposed to be fun. But uh, the Twitter account for Elmo from the Sesame Street puts out a tweet that just says, "Just che- Elmo just checking in. How's everybody doing? And man, the replies and the quotes are just people dumping their emotional baggage all over poor Elmo. Elmo himself may need a little therapy by the time he got finished reading his mentions. Elmo is feeling very sad. And so one of the quote tweets who's going to emotionally burden Elmo with their problems was, uh, was the account for the Arizona Coyotes. Just need a Stanley Cup and a home, but otherwise couldn't be better. Now look, the Elmo thing... Somebody just having a little fun. The Arizona Coyotes Twitter admin just having a little fun. But you do wonder with the mood that that organization is in and that that fan base may be in, you wonder how that was going to play in their market with uh, their limited fan base. Yeah, you're homeless. You've been the point of jokes all over the place. You're legitimately a point of concern for the league that you're playing in this 5,000-seat university and still still have no plan on how you're getting out of there. The arena that you thought you were going to get in Tempe gets voted down quickly by city council. Now we're hearing rumors that, well, there's a piece of land that they're bidding on. Not even a piece of land that they can just walk in and buy and build an arena on tomorrow. There's a piece of land they can bid on 
That doesn't sound like it's going to be a quick process. And here's your Twitter administrator going, yeah, you know, just need a home. Sorry, Elmo. Elmo is feeling very sad. I don't know. It's, it's meant to be fun, but I do wonder if that's one of those things that, uh, you know, the social media team gets a phone call from the president of, of the team or whatever. They're going, hey, while the league's thinking about moving us somewhere else against our will, maybe you don't need to be out making light of the fact that we don't have an arena yet. I don't know. Or maybe they're fine with it. Like if the tweet just says, just need a Stanley Cup and then we're doing just fine. Yeah, all right, cool. That's the whole hockey world. You know, fair enough. I don't know. There was just something that, it's it's a funny tweet. It's a good line. I just wonder how it's going to play in the market and certainly inside the organization. Um, while they're not supposed to be in this situation, right? They were given permission to move into that 5,000 seat university rink for the five or so years it was going to take to work through the process to get Tempe approved and built. And now not only is Tempe not getting built, not only is it not approved, you have no other plan at all. They're just sitting there indefinitely. The Players Association has to be fuming that you're not even trying to make money. You know, we've talked about this before. That's how the salary cap gets determined and the fact that how the cap goes up and up and up is league revenues go up, ticket sales and TV rights and all that stuff. 50-50, 50 goes to the players, 50 goes to the owners, and you got one team that is actively saying to you, yeah, we're not even trying. Like, we, we downgraded our arena, we got no home, we got the other teams, the richer teams in the league paying our bills for us right now in revenue sharing. I said when this deal was first announced, that should have been the first thing they signed off on. Yes, you could move into your pitiful little arena for a couple of years while you figure your shit out, but no one else is paying the bills for you. You don't get revenue sharing for those years. We have other teams out here trying to run a business. Their money is not going to you while you actively engage in not making money. But hey, what do I know? It's not the way the NHL does business. But the PA has to be hating this. How long are you going to make our guys play in a college rink? How long are you going to allow them to not help push the cap up? And the craziest thing that I saw on Tuesday was Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick show on Fan 590. He says he doesn't think it's a slam dunk that the Coyotes are staying there now. Now, we've heard that before. Who knows? But Utah has just stepped up and asked for an expansion team. If you had to on short notice, could you move the Coyotes to Utah, to Salt Lake City? I know there was talk of building a new arena there. Could they temporarily play in the building that the Jazz have? I don't know. Could they temporarily play in the building that the O2 Olympics were held in? I don't know, but maybe those are possibilities. Houston has long been the rumored landing spot for the Coyotes if they were going to get moved short notice, the same way the the Thrashers got picked up and moved over the course of one summer to Winnipeg. So those seem to be the options. But the craziest thing that Friedman said today was that even if they have to move them quickly to Salt Lake City or to Houston, he thinks the NHL will go back. They've been there since 97? It hasn't worked ever. Everybody blames the the arena out of town, and I get it. That was a huge part of it. But the Coyotes have never been a money-making organization. They've never attracted free agents. They've never been a regular sellout. Even when they were right downtown, there was a novelty period. There always is when you get a new sports team in town. It did okay for a little while. 
But this thing has been an unmitigated disaster for literally decades now. And Friedman is reporting that if they have to bail on the coyotes because they were such a train wreck that they had to be picked up, moved overnight, and dropped in another franchise, Gary's move would be to quickly see how quickly they could move on a new arena and then give them another team. Of course, this comes from the same league that we're hearing wants to go back to Atlanta, who has failed miserably twice. Team in Hamilton? No. Another team in the GTA? No. Team in Quebec City? No. Second, third teams for Arizona and Atlanta? Yeah, let's do it. What could go wrong? (sighs) Just another day in Gary's world, right? That's it. Just wanted to vent on that. I can't believe if this thing burns to the ground... After decades of futility, his first move will be to go do it again. It's quite a league. Quite a league. Mama was feeling very sad. That's where we'll wrap this up. Don't forget, coming up on the podcast, Cheryl Pounder. And I just spoke, uh, actually, on Tuesday morning. Traded a couple texts with our buddy Joshua O'Connor. Guy behind all those, uh, well, behind the R series. All the uh, the, the great video content that uh, the Red Blacks churn out every year. That's your man, Joshua O'Connor. And uh, we've been looking to get him back in here. There's good stuff coming on that front again. So we'll have him in here to talk about that. That'll be next week sometime. Uh, We will again, obviously, try and touch base with our buddy Lee Versage here later this week. But uh, yeah, up next is Cheryl Pounder. So stick around for all of that. Uh, Also, Rob and I had a great chat on the Monday morning show. Tons of stuff on, you know, if the Sens could only keep Shabbat or Chikrin, which one would you rather keep? That was an interesting debate. What are the Leafs? This year, and would you bother investing in them at the trade deadline? Are they worth selling off first round picks and top prospects for this particular group? Or do you just kind of have to ride with what you got? Hockey Canada, the Edmonton Oilers, who's the best Canadian team right now? Rank those four playoff teams in Canada, the Jets, the Canucks, the Oilers, and the Leafs. What order would you put them in? It was a good show. Uh, Had a lot of fun on that one. So if you haven't had a chance to check that one out, that was number 1247. All of this either up now or coming soon at tallcanaudio.com or your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for listening today. My name is Matt Robinson. We'll catch you next time. How was that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy? Mama was feeling very sad.